we'll be looking at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, which is a passage that is familiar to you. As soon as you find it, you'll know it. Um, as soon as you hear it, I'm preaching through Habakkuk and came to this passage and uh, felt that it deserved a uh, distreatment all of, of its own. Um, it says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And uh, I hope today will be encouraging to you. Uh, the Lord knows we need encouragement in these dark days. Uh, there's, I think, a twofold purpose in this verse. One in the context is to stick it in the eye of the Babylonians, so to speak. Uh, chapter one is a telling of Habakkuk who is crying out, how long, O Lord, and why do you make me see injustice? And, and why are things so bad and falling apart and so terrible? And God's answer is not one that he really wanted to hear. And that was that God was raising up the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, to come and crush um, Judah and uh, many others uh, in the process. They would be God's rod of discipline to discipline the nations. But as is so often the case, after God gets done disciplining the nations with his rod, he breaks the rod. Um, the instrument that he uses often is... Uh, you know, of course, contributing all kinds of sin in the process of being used by God doesn't um, mean that it's not in itself evil and committing evil things. And so chapter two is devoted to God having a reckoning with Babylon. And when we read that verse in verse 14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It is in a sense saying not with the glory of Babylon and not with the glory of any other human ruler. It is God's glory that will fill the earth, not anyone else's. And of course, there's a line of people lining up for competition to be the ones to fill the earth with their glory. And it's how we got into this mess in the first place with Adam and Eve, is trying to be God and trying to be glorified ourselves. But that's the first purpose. But the beyond that is just a great hope uh, of what the earth would one day become when God fulfills this promise. Uh, this is one of those passages that could easily get bogged down into eschatology and particularly the differences in eschatological schemes, premillennialism, postmillennialism, amillennialism. And I'm going to steer clearer from that. But uh, the, the point that we should all take home, whatever your millennial scheme is, is that this this passage will come to pass. It will be fulfilled. It is a promise. And uh, whether it be a part of this age or the age to come, it is something that is coming and we will all glory in it. And so when we think about just the, the, the simple words of the text itself, the earth will be filled. Uh, we have this expression that is so common in scripture with the Holy Spirit being poured out like water. And when you think of something being filled, it's fairly self-explanatory. If you have a cup and it's filled, then it is full to capacity. And so the idea is of the earth having a capacity for the glory of the Lord, and it will be filled up to the measure of its capacity. You won't be able to fit any more, in a sense, of the glory of the Lord in that cup because it will be full. And the second expression is the waters cover the sea. Uh, of course, the sea 
is not the sea unless it's covered with waters. But the idea is that it's complete saturation. And so just imagine a world, if you can imagine it, a world in which the entire planet, and we're talking about the, the human population here, because when you're speaking of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, you're speaking of humanity that has that capacity for, for knowledge. Uh, being filled with it, saturated with it. Everywhere you go is the knowledge of the glory of the Lord on planet Earth. There's no place you could travel to where you wouldn't be running into it, where it wouldn't be surrounding you everywhere. And so the Earth just being full and, and saturated with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea is an amazing thing to consider. And it is a promise. Um, right now, the earth is full of the Lord's glory. In fact, the seraphim in Isaiah 6 proclaim that, that the whole earth is full of his glory. Whereas here in Habakkuk 2 and also in um, Isaiah 11, it's a promise of something to come. It will be filled and then there's this focus on knowledge. So the earth is full of the glory of the Lord now, but it's not full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. In fact, I don't know, but if you were and I were to sort of take stock of the world's population and say, well, what percentage of the world right now do you suppose has the knowledge of the glory of the Lord? Uh, I would put it very low. Um, that's, that's based on what I know, and I don't know everything, and I I don't know everyone's heart and the world's population. I'm just basing that off of uh, the wickedness of the world and inferring that this world could not be as wicked as it is if there was a high percentage of the knowledge of the glory of God in the world today. So what I want to do just is imagine for a moment this world, let's suppose uh, that the promise that is laid out for us here is to take place in this age. And so the, the picture that I'm like going to lay out here is that it's not the eternal state, but it is something pre-judgment day. Um, what would it look like around us? Uh, what difference would it make in the churches if the world were full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea? Well, I think ch our churches would be full for one thing. Uh, we would have to have multiple services to accommodate everyone, or we would have to expand our buildings or both. Um, we would be overwhelmed with seekers and with people that are desperate to hear the word of God. Uh, people would actually be pleading for longer sermons, uh, as they often have done in revivals when sermons went on for two hours and people were complaining that it was over. And um, the preacher was exhausted and sometimes had to sneak out of the building because there were so many people pressing to ask him questions and he had to sneak out to go home and, and, and get some sleep. Um, the, the preaching of preachers, myself included, would be far more powerful than it is, far more edifying than anything you've ever heard. Uh, people wouldn't want to go home from church. They would want to linger there all day. The prayer meeting would be thronged. It would be vibrant and fervent instead of the least attended service that we have. Uh, home Bible studies would emerge all over the communities in which we live, all over America, all over the world. Um, false churches would either be burnt to the ground and in ashes, 
or they would be taken over by true converts and put to good use. Their religious leaders would either be dead, fired, or converted. Um, graven images would be taken off the walls. Empty rituals would be renounced. A real man of God would fill the pulpit to feed the people on truth and understanding. Uh, that there would be no false churches, no uh, cults, no false religions, no Mormonism, no JWs, no Muslims, no Buddhists, no Hindus, no atheists. The whole world would acknowledge the one true God and Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and men. What difference would it make in the home? Homes would be a completely different situation. Uh, they would be transformed. Broken homes would be non-existent or unheard of. Divorce would be unheard of. Husbands would be loving providers and leaders in the family, not abdicators. Wives would be gentle servants submitting under their husbands. There would be, they would be home and family oriented, not career oriented. Fornication and cohabitation would be unheard of. Single mothers unheard of. Foster care system would be a thing of the past. There wouldn't be any children to go into the system because everyone would be keeping their children. Uh, there would be no drug addictions and drunkenness and child abuse and abandonment and fatherlessness. Orphans would be taken in by the next of kin or by Christian families, which would be the great majority. The system wouldn't discriminate against Christian parents or make it hard for them to adopt. Parents would have lots of children because they would desire them and think of them as a blessing, not as trophies to go around and compete with others about how many children do you have, but just because they're a blessing. Parents would raise their children up, not in worldliness and self-righteousness and legalism, but in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Think of what the workplace would look like. People would do their work as unto the Lord, not as unto men. A laziness would be practically unheard of. There would be no welfare programs. Businesses that thrive on sin would be shut, shuttered, and new businesses would start up based on righteousness. And their purpose would be to glorify and benefit mankind. There'd be no filthy music playing in the factories, no cursing and profanity. Businesses wouldn't be trying to snooker you and cheat you out of money. And customers wouldn't be demanding and obnoxious. It wouldn't be hard to fire someone as it is in many workplaces, but it would be rare to fire someone. People would show up to work and show up on time. They would keep busy doing the job that they've been assigned to do. There would be a spirit of teamwork and camaraderie. Employers and foremen and managers would work hard to make the working conditions better for the laborers, and laborers would work hard to please their supervisors. You wouldn't recognize society. There would be no bars, no drug dealers, no gangs, no pornography, no brothels, no immodesty and sensuality no homosexuality or transgenderism, no abortion, no Hollywood. Most of the news media would cease to exist, and what did exist would actually report the truth and have mostly good news to report. Most universities would close down. Those that did exist would exist to glorify God and train people in various professions for the glory of God. There would be no gender studies, no race studies, no critical race theory, no feminism, no Marxism, no Marxist groups like BLM and Antifa. If you were in New York City and you were riding the subway, people would be smiling, they'd be pleasant, they'd be reading their Bibles, 
or conversing with their neighbor about the Lord. There would be no sports, or if there was, it would be radically different from the idolatry that it now is, and you wouldn't recognize it. Jails would largely be empty. Law enforcement would be a boring job because there would be little to do. No nation would be at war with one another for all the nations would have beaten their swords into plowshares, farm implements. Healthcare would also be boring, but in a good way. There would be no plagues, no COVID, no AIDS virus, no STDs, no diseases caused by overeating, obesity, alcohol and drug addiction, smoking, sugar addiction, etc. Emergency room visits due to drunk driving, knife fights, gunfights, fistfights, domestic abuse, drug overdose, suicide attempts. Government would be radically different than it is. It would be small. It would exist to punish bad behavior, and that would be defined according to the morality of the Bible. It wouldn't be meddling in all of our affairs. Elected representatives would serve the people and glorify God while in office. They wouldn't seek to gain more power for themselves or more money. There would be no lobbyists, no special interest groups, no pork spending, no false campaign promises, no dirty and vicious campaigns, no unelected and unaccountable bureaucratic mess, and no national debt. And we could go on. We could just go into every sphere of life and think about what this would mean for the knowledge of the glory of God to fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. It is a promise, and this is something we should yearn for. This is essentially what we are praying for when we are praying for worldwide revival. Now, this should bring some stability and comfort to our fretting. Um, we should pray for it because it is a promise, not neglect praying for it because it's a promise and it's going to happen anyway. That's never been the way the people of God have reasoned that, well, if it's promised and it's going to happen no no need to pray for it. It's actually the, the reverse. And finally, I would just say that if this sounds really good to you and sounds like a glorious era and something that you would love to live to see and live in, um, why not start living as much as possible by the grace of God, of course, um, according to how we would expect ourselves to be living during that time. And of course, you know, we, we can't do that apart from grace because apart from the Lord, we can do nothing. But I hope this, uh, this passage encourages you in that, that hope of what the Lord would do and has promised to do uh, would be an encouragement to you and, and to our prayers today.